Well, as uh, Pastor Chris told you on his announcements, uh, that we're starting a new series of talks today where we're going to be picking out five of the names of God uh, to walk through. And, and, and here, here's why. The best way to get to know God in a personal and powerful way is through understanding his names. Understanding the names he gave to himself and those around uh, that got revelation of him ascribed to him throughout the Bible. Psalm 34 verse 3 says this, glorify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name forever. The names of God throughout Scripture define, explain, and speak to who God is and what he is like. Can we all agree that names matter? They matter to us and they matter to God. I don't know anybody that's named Adolf Hitler. Why? Because that name is not just a pronoun. That name means something because names Matter. Now, I have a unique name. All right, my name is spelled J-A-D-Y, J-D. Now, I love that now. And almost 100% of the time when I spell my name, people are like, for real? I thought your name was J-D. I'm like, it is. <laughs> but, but here, like, I love having a unique name not now. Like, it's really cool. Like, I, I love having a name that was made up. You know, like my parents reaching back into their hippie days and, and deciding to create, create something. Like, I, I'm so happy that they felt inspired to do that. And now in my life as a 40-year-old man, I'm like, man, I'm thankful for that creativity. I'm excited about it. But as a child, having a unique name is not a blessing. Because there's something about a unique name that makes people forget the phonetic sounding of letters that create words. Okay, I don't know where on God's green earth an A sounds like a U. But if you spell my name J-A-D-Y, people will say, especially in school when you had to take role, it's Judy Griffin here. <laughs> I'm like, Judy, what you talking about? But now here's the deal. There might be a Judy in the class. I don't know. It's the first day of school. So I got to wait there in that awkward silence for a little bit, scoping out the room. Is there a Judy Griffin here? And then I have to raise my hand and be like, I think you mean J.D. Griffin because an A is a U, you stupid. No, I didn't. <laughs> right? Like, it happened all, all of the time. Like, but the, the, the absolute worst time was I grew up in Houston, okay? And, and, and we had a Christian radio station in Houston called KSBJ. All right? I don't even know if KSBJ is still around. But, but growing up, we had this Christian radio station, KSBJ. And they used to do this thing where they would do like a fundraiser. You know, where you, they, they're like, please give us money. Please, please. You know, we're not going to do any commercials. Give us money. Give us money. You know, we can keep out the bad people. But then the, the commercials of them asking you for money, you know, so it's kind of like, is this really working? <laughs> but they just did this deal where they're like, if you give us money, we will say your name on the radio. Look, I'm eight years old. My name on the radio equals I have made it. So I took my $5. My brother Jake, who just copies everything that I do, he took his $5 too. Jake, you're going to watch this, and you're going to yell at the TV, and I don't even care. 
And so we both gave our money, right? So we called and, you know, we, we pledged our $5, you know. We're all excited. And so then they're like, okay, your name is going to be on the radio. And they gave you like a window, man. So we're calling our grandparents. We're being like, yo, we're going to be on the radio. Man, this is going to be so cool. You know, we're all huddled around the, the kitchen table. We got the radio on, you know, and then they start breaking it down. They're like, oh, we just want to thank Michael for his generous gift of $20. Thank you for what you're doing. And then they said, oh, and look at this, Jacob Griffin, that's my brother. Jacob Griffin, man, we just want to thank you for your gift of $5. You know, the whole house is screaming. Ah! You know, Jake's running around. I'm famous. I'm famous. And then. They said, let's not forget Jacob's sister, Judy. I'm like, I am not Judy. My name, you are the stupidest person, you know what I mean? Right in, like, my house was going into a cheers, and all of a sudden it's, like, silent, you know, except for the snickering of my brother. <laughs> Who's like, dog, they called you a girl and Judy, you know what I mean? Like, this is like a double kidney shot, you know? I mean, this is the worst thing. For an 8-year-old, this is the worst thing that can happen. Why? Because names matter. When you say Judy, that's not me. My name's J.D. And when you say my name, it means something. It represents me. And so when you misrepresent my name, you misrepresent me. Because names matter. The names of God have been given to us as clues into who he is and what he is like and his character. And so as we grow in understanding his names, we, we will grow in understanding what he is like. Psalm 18.10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Can I get an amen? The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous man runs into it and is safe. It is in knowing him and what he is really like that will hold us and keep us and strengthen us when life is trying to kill us. It's his name that pushes back on the pressure of money problems and marriage problems and job problems problems and kid problems and culture problems when the pressure of all that is not going right in life starts to get real his name is our strong tower his name there's strength in his name he's got all by himself and his Name creates and heals and transforms. And to know his name is to be changed by him. In the name of God that we're going to be leaning into for the rest of our time today is the name Jehovah Shema. Jehovah Shema. Jehovah meaning 
God and Shema meaning is there, making Jehovah Shema a declaration of what is and what is coming. God is there. God is there. If you have your Bible, I want you to make your way to Ezekiel 35. Ezekiel 35, which is where we find this name that God gave himself, Jehovah Shammah. But to really understand the power that is in it, we have to understand why he got it. The prophet Ezekiel is the author of what we call the book of Ezekiel. And and he came on the scene just a few years after the people of Israel found themselves in exile and captive to the Babylonian people. And here, as we've often talked about, is that familiar but tragic rhythm of the people of God, of being told over and over again to, to, to serve God with everything that they have, to worship no other gods except him. But then they persisted in their sin to live a life that looked like the world around them, worshiping their gods and following their customs and perversions. And so what the people were in the middle of experiencing was the consequences of their choices. Did God still love them? Yes. Did their sin separate him from him? Yes. They were in exile. They found themselves not under the covering God, but under the rule of the Babylonians. And that's what sin does in our lives. Sin separates us from what God has for us, and it subjects us to the world around us. But can I get an amen? The story does not end with separation. The story does not end with separation. We serve a God of restoration. And every time until the end of time, God will make a way for us to repent of the sin that separates us. And we can return to him and be forgiven, cleaned up, healed up. And by the grace of God, sent out to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are you tracking with me? So God, in his grace, in the book of Ezekiel, begins to speak to the people who had turned their back on him through this guy named Ezekiel. And what we find out is that this book of Ezekiel, God was really leaning in on three big themes, three big themes to kind of frame for us the entire book of Ezekiel. And the first is, is that it is a warning that if the people do not change how they're living, what is coming is going to be worse than where they're sitting. And then there's a transition where God shifts from warning the people about their behavior to warning the people that were threatening the people of God about their behavior. Because how many of you know that we serve a God that will defend us even when we have rejected him? And so the first theme in the book of Ezekiel is warning to the people. The second theme in the book of Ezekiel is a warning to the people who were threatening God's people. And the third big theme in the book of Ezekiel is this incredible prophetic picture of what is to come because the story never ends with separation. And so these three big building blocks really lay themselves out across the entire book of Ezekiel and frame and give us context for what God is speaking to the people. And so when Ezekiel started speaking as the mouthpiece of 
God, they were in the middle of years of bad news. So when he started prophesying, warning, protection, and return, the people had been surrounded in the devastation and the chaos of captivity for years. That they had been living in a time when it seemed like nothing was going right at all. Personally for people, culturally for their people, everything that could go sideways had gone sideways. They had lost everything, all hope. It was broken and messed up. And look, I got to be honest with you. I'm not living in Babylonian captivity, but I do at times feel like I'm living in a season of bad news. Have you felt this? In the midst of pandemics and politics and vaccines. Ooh, I said it. The 24-hour news cycle that keeps you up to speed on every bad thing that happened all over the world at all times. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not held captive by the Babylonians, but, but man, I do know what it feels like to feel like if I'm in a season of bad news. And look, let's keep it real. Some of the bad news you might be in the middle of right now is not cultural, it's personal. You really lost your job. You really were furloughed. Your spouse really cheated on you. You really went bankrupt. You really lost everything. You're really in the middle of foreclosing on your house. And that Season of bad news is not just what's happening out here. It's what's happening in here. And I think if we're going to keep it real, we're not too far off from where the people of God were in Ezekiel. We're in a season of bad news. And in Ezekiel 35 verse 1, as we're landing this morning in this book, right at the, at the beginning of the shift of the warnings of the people of God to then the promise of God's restoration for the people of God, it says this, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face against Mount Seer and prophesy against it and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against you, Mount Seer. And I will stretch out my hand against you and make you a desolate wasteland. And I will turn your towns into ruin and you will be desolate. And then you will know that I am the Lord because you harbored an ancient hostility. And delivered the Israelites over to the sword at the time of their calamity, the time their punishment reached its climax. Therefore, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I will give you over to bloodshed and it will pursue you. Since you did not hate bloodshed, bloodshed will pursue you. I will make Mount Seir a desolate waste and cut off from it all who come and go. And I will fill your mountain with slain, and those killed by the sword will fall on your hills and your valley and your ravens, and I will make you desolate forever, and your towns will not. Anybody else like, yo. 
okay? You read this and you're just like, wow. <laughs> what happened to amazing grace? <laughs> we got bloodshed pursuing bloodshed and ravings picking meat off bones. And you read this, and I know you come across passages of Scripture like this, and it can be challenging because you're like, hold up. How is this the same God who just was giving me a big bear hug when we were worshiping? And you read this, and you're like, dude, God sounds angry. Hear me, God is not angry. God is just And the questions that we have of like, oh, my gosh, this is intense. Look, the Bible is strong enough for those questions. Can I say that? We don't have to be scared of anything that is written in this book because the meta narrative of God, the, the story of God from Genesis to Revelation is unwavering. That he is a God who will fiercely protect those who are his. And this, these people that lived on this Mount Siri, they were the people of Edom, and they had threatened not just to overtake the people of Israel, but to steal the city of Jerusalem. Let me tell you, God does not mess with anything that stands in between you having an encounter with him. He will stop at nothing for you to know that he is fighting for you and you need only to be still. And you have a God who his love is, is, is so big that even the psalmist couldn't describe it accurately because they're like as, as, far, as high as the heavens are above the earth. That's how much God loves you. That, that, that same God loves you so much that he will not sit back and allow things that want to steal, kill, and destroy you to just have their way. But he will be a God who defends you. Psalm 18 verse 2 says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my strong hold. Our God is not weak. Our God is strong. Ezekiel 35 verse 10 says this, because you have said that these two nations and countries will be ours and we will take possession of them. That's why he's saying no rest for you. And then he says, even though I, the Lord, was there. Jehovah Shema. I, the Lord, was there. Therefore, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I will treat you in accordance with the anger and jealousy you showed in your hatred of them, speaking of the people of Israel, and I will make myself known among them as I judge you. If we're being really honest, that's kind of a funny place for God to give himself a new name. Jehovah Shema, the God who is 
there. He's going to declare himself to be Jehovah Shammah on the back end of a correction to a people who are threatening to take a city from his people. And he's on this big kind of rant on just like everything he's going to do and like rip everybody up and blood's going to be flying everywhere. And then he declares Jehovah Shammah. Look, that's crazy because think about it. It sure didn't feel like God was there. Think about it. They, they, had been, it they, they had been in captivity. They had lost everything. And God is saying, right here, right now, I'm there. Does that not strike you as weird? Like, what are you talking about? It doesn't look like you're there. We're in a season of bad news. How could you be there and we be in a season of bad news? How, how can you be Jehovah Shammah in the middle of devastation and captivity? Be, because the, the, how in the world could you be there? Be, be, because aren't you Jehovah Jireh? The God who provides? Look, this is what we do. Can I just keep it real? I know we have some people visiting from all over the world right now, and you probably don't feel this way, but here in America, we obsess about Jehovah Jireh, and we didn't even know he was Jehovah Shammah. Because we equate provision with presence. You hearing what I'm saying? He is Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. He does do more than we could ask, hope, or imagine. He does do everything and anything that he wants, and he blesses, and he, he, he extravagantly blesses. But listen to me. When your world begins to fall apart, it doesn't mean that he left you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Look, we think... God is near, life is good. God is far, life is hard. But what do you do with Jehovah Shammah, who says, when it feels hard, I am there. I am there. Provision isn't the only sign of his presence. He is Jehovah Shema. Watch this. Shema means loss, desolation, and astonishment. What a cool word. Loss and astonishment. What's God saying? He's saying that he is there in all of his glory, in all of his splendor, in all of his power, in the rubble, on the hospital bed, in the middle of your divorce, in the unemployment line. He is on the floor with you in all of his glory as you are hurting, broken by those that you thought loved You, King David said it this way in Psalm 23, verse 4, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In the darkest corner of your story, he's right there. Are you hearing me? In the darkest part of your story, in the middle of the most painful memory that you have, he is there. In the middle of that relationship that's so broken and upside down and loaded with deception and pain, he is there. 
Because his presence is there. Regardless if we need breakthrough or we're celebrating that we got it. Look, if we can get this, that we are secure and rocked up in devastation, that we know that God is there, I'm telling you, it's going to bring some freedom. Because we're looking for God sometimes when he is right there. And what we're really looking for is provision. But what he's offering us is his presence. That we can be in desolation and still be astonished. That we can be in pain and experience his presence. Then we can be in a fight of our lives in depression and be overwhelmed by his nearness. Why? Because he's Jehovah Shema. He's the God who is there. If we get this, when life gets hard, we're going to stop asking the question that we often ask, which is, where is God? Have you gotten a really hard diagnosis or, 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 or been faced with some really real devastation? And that question comes in your mind, God, how, how, where, where did you go? I've been living right. I've been doing right. I've been paying my tithe. I've been doing all the things, God. Like, why would I lose my job now? Because, we, we, because we're obsessing about Jehovah Jireh when he's not just Jehovah Jireh. He's also Jehovah Shema. And he's saying, in your loss and in your desolation, I am there. So you can be astonished in your pain because my provision is not connected to my presence. Look, man, I went through some, I've been through some hard stuff in life, but nothing compares to when my wife had a stroke a few years ago. And it came out of nowhere, and it was like the most scary, darkest thing that's ever happened to our family. It's like everything was fine, and then all of a sudden, nothing's fine. And I remember like four days into the madness, right? Liz is in ICU. She's paralyzed on her right side. We don't know if she's ever going to get that movement back again in that part of her body. I'm trying to balance being a single dad, trying to hold it down. Mom's going to be cool, but on the inside, I'm like, I don't know. And I'm pretty good at faking it. You know, any other good liars? You know, like I'm a good dang liar. You know what I'm saying? So I'm holding it down for my kids. I'm, you know, and I'm like, yeah, you know, so this one day, day four, I'm like making everybody's lunches, you know, and we're trying to have fun. and be Like it's going to be a great day, right? You know, and I like take everybody to school and drop them off and I'm leaving the, the, the school and I am driving to the ICU and all of a sudden the pressure of the bad news hits me. And I just start to cry, man. I'm just like, you know, you ever been so overwhelmed? There are no words. And I'm scared. I'm like, is my wife going to die? Is she ever going to be able to walk? Am I going to be a single dad? Like, you know, like what, what, is hap- what is going on? God, where are you? God, where are you? And I just remember I'm driving and I felt... Just this need, I was like, man, I got to connect with God right now. If I don't connect with him right now, I might not ever connect with him again. You know what I mean? 
Like, I got to lean in right now. And so I just said, God, look, I just don't know if I could do it. I don't think I can make it. Like, if this is the rest of my life, I'm, I'm smoked. It's been four days. God bless moms. You know what I mean? Like, holy moly. I was, like, fried. I was like, God, it's been four days. How in the world am I supposed to keep doing? I'll never forget that still, small, tender voice speaking back to me and saying, you can do it because I am there. And a few years before this stroke had happened, I was in my backyard with one of my kids, and one of my kids was having a meltdown. Anybody else have children that have meltdowns? And, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I want to kill this child. You know what I mean? Like you hit... You hit that point where all of your compassion and your respect for law and authority goes out the window, and you're like, okay, it's over for you. Like, we're, it's, you had a good run, you know, like, but it is, and I'm there, right? I'm, I'm, I'm like, what, dude, like, I just want to leave my own house, you know, like, just, oh. And I'm so angry at myself, and I'm so angry at my kid, and I'm just angry at the whole situation, and, and I'm like, God, you know? And I'll never forget this woodhawk kind of swooped through our backyard. And that had never really happened before. So it caught my attention. And it was like this, it was this cool moment where I was like, whoa, that was really cool, man. That was a freaking hawk swooping in our backyard. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was like, hey, whenever you see a hawk, I want you to remember I'm with you. I'm there. And so it kind of became this like cool little thing that I had with God where I would just like be driving around like, oh, cool, there's a hawk. You know, and I'm like driving down the road and there's a hawk on the light pole. I'm like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, God loves me. What about y'all suckers? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and so I'm driving to the ICU crying, God, where'd you go? He speaks. I'm there. And a hawk swoops in front of my car. And I'm driving down the highway, and this hawk is just, like, hovering in front of me. And after a few minutes, it kind of peels off. And I was like, oh, that was cool. And then another one drops in. And I was escorted from that moment to the hospital by hawks the entire way. Why? Jehovah Shammah. I walked upstairs to, a, to an ICU, got more bad news that day, Jehovah Shammah. His presence was there. In the rubble, he's there. Look, this is going to help somebody who's in a fight, and you feel like you're in that darkest corner of your life, and all is crumbling, and you're asking the question, God, where are you? Look, you need to hear me say, he's there. He's there. He's with you right now. You... You, you don't need to ask the question, God, where'd you go? Because he's Jehovah Shammah. He's there. He will be there. He'll always be there. His name is unchanging. So if he was there, he's going to be there. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so stop confusing his provision with his presence. Come on now. Stop confusing his provision with his presence and start realizing that that life with God is not easy. Life with God is complete. You feeling me on this? Stop looking for the easy way and start seeing his glory right there. Because he is 
with you. You might be in a season where you feel hard pressed on every side. But you're not crushed. You might be perplexed, but you're not in despair. You might be persecuted, but you're not abandoned. You might be struck down, but you're not destroyed because he's there in the loss, in the desolation, in the rubble, in the pain. He is there. Do me a favor. I want you to stand to your feet. I think it's good that we take time to allow these names of God to not just be things that we hear, but to really be what they're created to be, which is to be a beacon, a declaration of the character and nature of God that has a transforming effect on our souls when we encounter it. And therefore, I know that some of you right now, you know that there's a place in your life, in your past, that is the darkest, scariest, most painful thing that you have ever gone through in your entire life. And that dark place, it weighs on you. It haunts you at night. It keeps you up. It keeps you anxious. And I just believe that today that God wants to reveal who he is in that place. And so right now, I just want you to close your eyes. If you feel comfortable, just open your hands. And if that's you, if you've got that place in your life, I want you just to kind of go back to that memory. And I want you to invite the Holy Spirit and say, God, Jehovah Shema, where are you? In the rubble. Where are you? And allow him to reveal himself to you in the place of loss, in the place of desolation. Because his, his provision is not his only way of showing us his presence. He's the God who is there. Deuteronomy 3.16 says, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be terrified. The Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Lord, we are asking that you would be Jehovah Shema right now. Every place in our lives where we have, we've been looking for Jehovah Jireh in the midst of the pain, and, and you're right there declaring over us that you're Jehovah Shema. You're the God right there, that you're with us, that you're not far from us, Lord, that you are near to us. Lord, I, I, I ask that right now that every heart that's, that's open to you would experience your presence in the middle of whatever they're going through. It might be the best day. It might be the worst day. But you never change. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you are the God who is there. In Jesus' mighty name. Hey.